Mark your calendar to attend the American Academy of Family Physicians National Conference of Family Medicine Residents and Medical Students July 27th through the 29th in Kansas City, Missouri. Choose from more than 35 educational sessions and visit over 450 residency programs and exhibitors and much more. Join the National Conference Equation at aafp.org nc. You use design objects constantly. Chances are very strong you're using one right now as you listen to this episode. Have you taken a moment to consider where design in medicine succeeds? And what happens when it fails? Welcome to the AMSA AdLib Podcast, where you'll hear from med students and experts alike. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. If design in medicine and healthcare doesn't interest you, you may not have taken long enough to consider how important and far-reaching it is. Devices, systems, and processes can all be designed, and too often, they haven't been well-designed. That leaves a lot of room for physicians and even medical students to involve themselves in improving how things work in healthcare. I'm Pavitra Krishnamani. I am a third-year medical student at Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. Um, and I've had the great honor and privilege to be a part of the university's design program. Why the need for design and why involve clinicians? I think one of the biggest challenges in healthcare today is that we have um, all of these systems in place and we think that we know what we're doing. We think we're doing right. Um, but they're not necessarily informed by what the patient needs and what the patient sees as a challenge. And as long as we're designing systems to make ourselves feel better, we're not designing systems necessarily to make our patients feel better. And the unique set of strengths that I feel clinicians have um, in, in really making this impact and jumping into the space is that they work with these patients every single day. They see the system at work. They understand what it's like to be a part of the system. They understand what it's like um, for a patient to be a part of the system. And if we taught clinicians how to design better, I think they would be um, very well equipped to walk into the space and interview patients, understand um, what their needs are, and really make possible and ideal solutions to the challenges that they find. We aren't just talking about sketching out changes to devices or systems. We're talking about what's known as human-centered design. In the broad sense, Pavitra explains, human-centered design means asking the end user, or the person that you're trying to help, about their perspective on the challenges they're facing, and using that perspective to create a solution that works for them. And a part of that means not asking questions like, would you use this already created solution? It's more about asking exploratory questions, such as, what is one of the challenges that you see? What are some thoughts on how you would fix the problem if you were going to? Um, What do you think needs to be done? And as we get a bigger and bigger sample size and we talk to more and more people that we're trying to reach, this this, um, solution just simply comes into shape. So we're able to understand and take into consideration the perspectives of a large number of people who are all in this group that we're supposed to be able to help um, and come up with a solution that ideally helps most of them and helps most of the concerns, if not all of the concerns, that they've expressed with the system that's currently in place or the product or the process, anything really. Medical devices are an obvious use of design. There are so many ways we can redesign simple healthcare devices to make 
um, it easier for providers to use if providers are the end user um, to make it more intuitive for a patient if it's a take-home device. Um, in my opinion, the in my opinion, the EpiPen and now like the naloxone administering device, I think is absolutely genius. You, you know, don't have a needle to fuss around with. You stick the device against your thigh and you press a button and it takes care of it for you. That is an example of amazing design because it takes into account simplicity of use. You know, patients may not necessarily want to deal with needles that much. They may not, you know, they may fear them or they may not want to touch them and use them. Um, they may not know how to acquire them. There may be difficulties in acquiring needles. Whereas when you have a device that is not needle-free, but at least the needle is hidden, it makes it more accessible, it makes it simpler to use, and it just makes everybody happier at the end of the day. That's an example of really good design. Pavitra says that while the devices she used as an example are great designs, their designers may not have used a strictly human-centered approach in the design process. That approach, as she explains, is a very specific one, but a relatively simple one to implement. The general process overall is to start off by defining the desired action. What is it that you want people to do? What is the problem? Then we should go out and ask people why it is the ideal action or the ideal desired and goal is not being reached. So it means going out in the case of uh, people heading to the emergency room, for example, um, for something like an infection or a middle ear infection. It means going out and asking the patients who have had the emergency room um, for that reason. You know, why, why is it you desire to do that? What kept you from going to your medical home? What were some of the challenges you faced? Uh, and, and you ask very open-ended questions because it's amazing the feedback that you get back. So one patient, for example, might say, well, my pediatrician's office, you know, closes after six and I work until eight so I can't really get an appointment there they're not really open on weekends and I you know that's that's the only other time I get to go in um another person may say oh, I was really really worried like my kid had this you know his his ears were hurting and I had to take him somewhere because he was holding them and screaming and of course that's a little bit different of a situation that may not be something that we can fix with a simple design it may but it most likely it may not um Another person may come forward and say, uh, I was unable to get an appointment at my doctor's office because they just had too many people. Like, it was completely filled up, and I wasn't able to see a physician. And so I didn't feel confident going there. Instead, I wanted to go to the emergency room so I could actually go see somebody in a timely manner instead of four days from now, and my kid is probably not sick anymore. So all of these are different reasons for the same end action, and... When we are going about creating a solution, it's important to not just think of these different reasons, but try to come up with a solution that addresses as many of them as possible. Because oftentimes, you know, one solution can take care of multiple problems. We don't have to create band-aids, several solutions for several different problems, and just muck up the system so it becomes even more complicated. Um, so, you know, after asking questions, you kind of go back to the drawing board, you put together um, some ideas, some preliminary thoughts on like how you could fix the problem that you're trying to address. Then you do consumer testing, if you will, which is incredibly, it's, it's an incredibly important part of this process. You have to go back out um, or you have to bring people in, one or the other, and you have to 
essentially prototype the process or prototype the device and see what type of feedback you get back. Some people may still respond the same way. Some people may actually find it helpful. Um, and so it's really a prototyping process. Then you go back to the drawing board and you repeat this until you come up with a solution that you feel like accomplishes your end goal and satisfies the consumer that you've brought in now to test your process or device, etc. Um, and that's, that's when you know you've designed a good solution. That's when you know you've designed a human-centered solution, when humans are a part of the process every step of the way. The idea of designing something may seem like a big leap for a medical student, but it's just a matter of taking a leap. And there are benefits on the side. During the process, you'll hear the critical perspective of patients you may have otherwise missed. Human-centered design only gets better with practice. My very first design workshop, I remember the workshop leader said, okay, I'm going to introduce you to human-centered design, and then you all are going to go out onto the streets of Philadelphia and interview just random people around this area about their experiences with Jefferson's health system. That's what we did. We went to parks. We went to train stations. We flagged down random people that were walking on the street. Sometimes it went over well, sometimes it didn't. But through that process, I learned to break down those barriers that I think we all build around ourselves and around each other and actually connect with other people that I'd never b met before and get, a, I think, good sampling of different people to tell me about what they legitimately thought about Jefferson's system. So I think that going around and asking these questions and trying to get these different perspectives is step one. And even if you don't come up with a project out of it or a solution out of it, at the very least, you've practiced doing the skill. Um, and starting there is extraordinarily important. Everything else from there onwards, if you and a dedicated other team of people get together you know, and, and have those skills, you can, you can make a solution. Need a fun social way to get involved and learn while doing? There are health hackathons, um, several of them. I know there's one, well, there's now one at Jefferson, which is absolutely fantastic. We have it annually. Um, there is one at Yale. There is one at MIT. And there are several others across the country. And it's really just a group of people from different settings, some people from tech, some people from medicine, um, some people from, like, mechanical engineering I've seen. Uh, or chemical engineering, all sorts of different disciplines of people getting together, rallying around um, creating a solution to a certain problem, and they all bring different perspectives and skills to the table. So at the end of these hackathons, oftentimes you have some sort of a prototype, and you've spoken to industry experts who the hackathon has brought in, um, and you have you know, a, a plan moving forward to create and make these solutions that you've now theoretically come up with a reality. And so health hackathons are a great way to first get introduced and first get started on projects. If you don't have a problem you want to solve, they'll give you one. There are plenty out there. And as others bring those problems to your attention, you can think about how you want to solve them. You don't need technical expertise to get involved with a hackathon. But for those who just want to read up on design first, human-centered or otherwise, Pavitra recommends checking out Coursera. But to get serious, you have to try it out for yourself actually practicing what it is you've read about and learned about is imperative in design because inherently it is an active process of learning. Um, if you can't get to a hackathon, interview people. That's always a really great place to start. And learn to pay more attention to the design objects and systems already in your world. Learn to deconstruct them on the fly. Design is a lens 
it's a way of seeing the world. Um, and when you get involved in it and when you practice it, you start to see things like, oh, that's, that's something that's easy to use. It didn't require an extra label. They didn't have to tell me to pull the door instead of push the door. You know, that's, that's good design. If I don't have to be told and there doesn't have to be a label written there telling me what to do, that means it's intuitive and I'm clearly listening to the signs and the signals they're putting forth as the designers of that door, if you will. That's good design. So seeing things like that in everyday life, noticing and recognizing why it is those things are good design or why it is those things are bad design can help you incorporate design into your life when you absolutely need to or when you want to or when, to, when you desire to. AMSA Adlib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Kelly Tibbert is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Mark your calendar to attend the American Academy of Family Physicians National Conference of Family Medicine Residents and Medical Students July 27th through the 29th in Kansas City, Missouri. Choose from more than 35 educational sessions and visit over 450 residency programs and exhibitors and much more. Join the National Conference Equation at aafp.org slash nc.